0: This week's parasha includes the mitzvah of challah, taking a portion of dough and giving it to the kohen. The question is, how big does that portion have to be? Well, Rashi will tell us that the Torah does not mandate an amount. And then he goes on to tell us the rabbinical requirement of how much dough to give. The Rebbe has six questions on that and will lead us to a profound understanding of what challah teaches us about trust in Hashem. In the Pasuk, the Pasuk that tells us that the beginning of your produce, you shall take chala and give it to the Koyen. And then the Torah says, so you give it similarly to how you give the truma of wheat, which is given to the Koyanim. Is Rashi Mephoresh. Rashi says, ah, those words are key. The fact that you give chala similar to how you give truma teaches us, the Torah never mandated a minimum amount you have to give to the Koyen in order to fulfill truma. So likewise, Challah has no mandated amount from the Torah. Which is different to the Meiser given to the Boshir, where the Torah does tell us that it has to be 10% of the yield of one's produce. So the Torah does not require a specific amount in order to fulfill the mitzvah of chala. However, the chachomim did give an amount, which is, for an individual making bread, one twenty-fourth of the dough has to be chala, and if a person is a mass-producing baker, only one forty-eighth of the dough has to be given as chala. That raises a whole series of questions. We have to understand Allah, first of all. We do know, yes, Rashi is doh for there are times Rashi quotes things either from Medrash or Gomorrah or elsewhere that have halachic implications. But he only does this Only if there is something about the simple understanding of the pasuk that pushes us to introduce the halachic perspective. As Rashi himself tells us that his guiding principle is I'm really only here to explain things according to the simple understanding of the Psukim. So therefore, is Rashi meforish The fact that Rashi points out that the Torah does not mandate a minimum amount to give for challah, that makes sense. V'loy that it's not like maaser which has a share, because here the Torah is comparing it Kitrumas to the donation of truma. Let's move on. Is Rashi is pointing out something in the pshat. Why the Torah says that this donation of dough is like the donation that you give of Truma to the Koyen. Not like any other donation that you give. But why does Rashi need to tell us that the Chachamim instituted a minimum amount for Chala? That's got nothing to do with a simple understanding of the Psukim. Surely? Question two, base bringing the mikra okay maybe you'll say when rashi told us that there's no amount for Chala, he meant there's no amount in the torah for Chala. and therefore tashir rashi does want us to know that there is still a rabbinical obligation so you shouldn't misunderstand the nature of the instruction and so therefore he tells us that there is a rabbinical instruction of how much challah to give. Fine, we'll accept that. But still, and still, why does he have to get into the details? This is not the Shulchan Aruch. Why does Rashi have to tell us how much the amount instituted by the Chachamim is? that certainly has no impact on us understanding the simple meaning of the psukim yes the simple meaning of the pasuk is the Torah does not tell you how much challah to give then you need to know that the chachamim the chachamim do tell you how much to give great why do we have to know what that amount is Rashi is can say for now Rashi is not a halacha book. His objective is to explain the simple understanding of the pasuk. In the simple understanding of the pasuk, I don't have to know how much the shir chala is. Okay, let's say I do have to know that. For whatever reason, let's say that Rashi felt that we have to know how much chala you're supposed to give he could have spoken to us we're individuals the amount of challah we have to give is one twenty-fourth of the dough that's the quantity that is relevant to the the reader the majority of people learning Chumash look at the Targum of which is not it's not designed to be a Pshat explanation and nevertheless, as I He only gives the one in twenty-four possibility. Why does Rashi also have to tell us that if you happen to be a commercial baker, you actually give a smaller percentage um, to to uh, the, the kohane? dalit? Next question. Not only does it seem unnecessary for Rashi to tell us this information, Rashi actually seems to be creating a conflict between the, the meaning of the Pasuk. <laughs> the way Rashi is explaining the Pasuk, his own explanation contradicts itself. Because he begins by explaining. He started off by telling us the comparison between Chala and Truma is to tell us that the Torah does not require a specific amount. Unlike Meiser, that does have a specific amount. In other words, not only is the Torah omitting to give us a specific amount of Chala that we have to uh, donate in order to fulfill the mitzvah. Now the Pasuk Zocht Me Fairash, but the Torah specifies. kein The way in which you give khala is like the way in which you give truma, which means as without a specific, a specific amount. And Der de in So where could Rashi then see in the Pshat of the Pasuk? The Pshat of the Pasuk is there's no amount. Where in that pshat would Rashi come up with the exact opposite message? But the Chachomim made an amount. And that's going to lead us to two other questions. Um, it? Hey, fifth question. Okay, so for whatever reason, Rashi wants to tell us that yes, the Torah does not require a specific amount in order to fulfill the mitzvah of chalev. But the Chachomim do. And I want you to know how much the Chachomim require. So this is not the right place to discuss it. V'altos mermatim givensu zagonim in pirushef pasuk Rashi should have told us that information when he explained the next pasuk, which is titnul Hashem truma that you give this to the kohen because the Torah, Rashi tells us, did not mandate an amount of how much dough to give in order to fulfill the mitzvah of challah, therefore nema titnu, therefore he used the word give, which means, to be a substantial enough quantity that would be considered that you're giving something to somebody. And that would have been the most logical place to then continue to say, how much is that? Well, that amount is defined by the chachamim, one in 24 for a regular person, one in 48 for a baker. as in Sifri, actually the Sifri does exactly that. When it talks about the Chachamim giving an amount that we have to use for challah, it's in this Pasuk. The Sifri says, well, it's got to be a substantial amount. From here, the Chachamim derive What is a substantial amount? These are the two possibilities. And then, lastly, we can ask the same kind of issue from the other direction. The fact that Rashi does give us the details. That a regular person gives 1 of the dough to challah. And that a baker gives 1 to challah. Why doesn't Rashi then at least explain why there's a difference now that he's drawn our attention to the fact that there are two she or him? Why not tell us why? Like the Sifri and others do, you know, that the, the one that's his livelihood, the baker, so we want to ha- diminish the amount that he has to give away, etc. The fact that Rashi does not tell us why there are two different amounts in two different circumstances must be because Rashi assumes we could work that out on our own. So let's review. Question one. Why is Rashi bringing something that is of an halachic nature if it's not necessarily relevant to the pshat? why, if he's already telling us about the Chachamim, do we have to know all the details of the shirim? If he is telling us the Shurim, why not just stick with the one that is relevant to most people, which is the shir for, La- for bala bias? Number four, if Rashi starts off by saying that the Torah does not mandate any shir, why then does he continue as a commentary on Pshutei Mikra to say, yes, but the Chachamim, give a shir, And... If Rashi is going to tell us the shiru the Chachamim gave, surely it belongs in the Pasek that says titnu, which is where, as we saw in the Sifri, that that is actually, a, a, it's got to have a certain amount, and therefore the Chachamim determined what that amount should be. And why does Rashi not even get into the, the distinction, if he's gone to the, to the detail of telling us that there are two different kinds of amounts you may give for challah, why not at least explain the difference between them? And we'll resolve this relatively easily. Debir bozeba Pashtos. And then, the fact that the Torah says that the way you give chala has to be similar to truma, which Rashi helps us to understand means that there is no mandated amount, is mashma, as is genuk. Well, if the Torah does not give us an amount, the implication is that any amount is acceptable to fulfill chala. Okay, if any amount is acceptable to fulfill the mitzvah of chala, well, then the pasik doesn't make sense any longer. Why? Because what does the pasik say? Let's look at the, the flow of the pasik. In the beginning of your dough, you should give. Is there explains what does it mean, you should give. Chala. You take one Chala as a donation to Hashem. And what is a Hashem? Rashi explains a, a French word, which basically means like a little cake. Now, that is an amount, surely. It's another posse. It doesn't make sense anymore. How can you on the one hand say that the amount required for chala is like truma, which doesn't have a specific quantity. Where the same posse tells us, but there is a quantity. Chala. And chala, A challah does have a minimum size. You know, only a certain amount of dough that's baked would be considered a challah, a cake, a, a roll, whatever you want to call it. That's what's bothering Rashi. There's a contradiction here. You're saying no amount in the same breath that you're saying an amount. Rashi tackles that and he says, Yes, the Torah doesn't tell us what the actual quantum of that amount is but the fact that the Torah associated the dough you're going to give to the Koyen with the word chala which is a very specific kind of product is chachomim nos nushir from that the chachomim derived that we have to obviously determine a particular amount the Torah is edging us in that direction decide an amount that you have to give that would be considered chala dos in other words even though the word chala here is a very open-ended word it could refer to any baked good but obviously, the fact that it's got the title, the word chala app- appended to it, implies that it's got to be big enough that it deserves its own title, its own description. So you can't just take a few crumbs and say, This is my chala that I'm giving. It's got to be something substantial. From that, Rashi tells us, realize we have to determine a specific amount. That will constitute the minimum requirement of chala. But if Rashi is going to tell us that the chachamim instituted a certain amount in order to qualify as chala, that wouldn't be enough information for us. Why not? Because yes, the word chala implies something of significance. But there is no amount that we would automatically associate. So now we're in the dark. You've got to give something which is substantial, but we don't know what substantial means. As I you have various types of chalas. You can have a massive wedding khala, You can have a little khala roll. How do we know which one it is that we're supposed to be using as the measure of how much to give to fulfill the mitzvah? So you think, ah, okay, so the Chachamim are now going to tell us how much a chale is. So we anticipate that the Chachamim are going to say it's like a gazayis or a kabaytza or krigorgeris. In other words, it's a certain volume and that's it. It's like the donation you make of any other carbon. This is how much you give. So Rashi wants to ensure we don't make that mistake. Okay, so we get it. The Torah is telling us the word chala. The word chala lends itself to us understanding that this has to be a substantial amount of dough that is given to the koyen. Therefore, you know that it's got to be at least something which you would give chashevas to. You'd think that how do you determine that chashevas? How much dough? It's got to be X amount of dough. Says Rashi, that's not the case. In this particular case, the Chachamim did not make a, st- a standard volume of dough, rather, they made a percentage of the overall dough, which is a Balabai michov or an Depending on who you are, that will determine how much the percentage of dough you have to donate is in order to, con- to constitute khala. Now that's unusual. Normally, a shear given by the Chachamim is fixed. This one is completely relative to how much you're producing. Now that we see the shear, the amount that is designated by the Chachamim, is not a fixed, independent amount. But it is an amount that is linked to the fact that the Torah calls this thing Chala. Is moving. Well, then Rashi doesn't have to explain why there might be two different standards over here. because you could work that out with simple logic, understanding the the, the Why? Because the khalas was a Balabais was When an individual who is not a pro bakes chalas, generally they they bake larger chalas. And usually the chalas are for who? For you and your family. So it's a larger chalas shared with fewer people. So logic says the portion you give away to the coin, you can afford to give away a larger portion. Whereas the baker who has to obviously market to a whole range of customers, which includes Faranium unashem, some of whom are going to be poor. Yes, some will be wealthy and want big fancy chalas, and some will be poor and just want the minimum sized chalas. So he's gonna also produce some very small chalas. And is not a revach, was as weiter. And unlike the person who's just baking for himself, here's a whole cost impact. There was a certain investment, he had to buy wood, he had to buy flour, and there's only a certain margin of, of actual income that he's going to get at the end of it. So anybody could logically understand and work out that he only has to give a smaller amount to the kohen because firstly he's obviously producing volume, and he's, he's got, like so to speak, a little bit of, a, of a, an income that he has to make, so we understand he'll, make, he'll give a smaller amount of chala. So because Rashi explained to us that this is all about the word khala, and the word khala is that the Rabbonin did not dis- determine a very specific amount that you have to give in order to do chala. rather it is a relative amount comparing to how much khala you are producing, therefore we understand that different people are going to bring different amounts of khala. And that explains obviously why Rashi has to give us both possibilities both the, the amount that would be relevant to an individual and that would be relevant to a baker. Because what's Rashi shown us? That the entire foundation of how the Chachamim came to determine what the amount is that you have to give for Chala is all based on the fact that the Torah Torah used the word Chala which that leads us to understand it's got to be a substantial amount. It's that same word that lends us Uh, insight into the fact that there are two different measures over here. Because you've got two different kinds of challah being produced. We'll give another reason as well why Rashi actually quotes both the quantity for a regular person and for a baker. So, Rashi already previously told us that the amount that challah will be based upon is what is called Omer la gul Baita, which is 43 and a fifth eggs volumed worth of dough. That's when you've got to start giving challah. So, had Rashi only done like we saw in the Sifri, uh, um, only told us the amount that a balabais has to give for challah. Well, then you'd think, oh, okay, so basically there's 43 and a third egg volume of dough, and I'm taking 1 24th of that. So that means that the challah is only relevant because it's worth more than the volume of a beta. Rashi doesn't want us to think that that is in fact the halacha, and that, you, that there is no value to giving a smaller amount to challah. That it's possible that you have a commercial baker And he's making, let's just say, a minimum batch 43 and a fifth eggs volume of dough Of which he's removing 148 Ah, so the piece he's removing is worth less, less than a beta Is the volume of less than a beta Rashi wants us to know that that is also halachically acceptable Even though typically we would expect that that is too small a quantity To be considered in other halachic areas so that's a simple explanation of understanding how Rashi came to his conclusion. He's looking at that word chala. It doesn't fit neatly with the word uh, kitrumasg or the words kitrumasgoyren. Therefore, it tells us that it's got to be a substantial amount. That's why Rashi is commenting on this pasuk, not on the next pasuk of titnu Hashem truma. That's how he comes to understand that everything pivots on the word chala. Chala gives us a sense that it's got to be something substantial. That leads the Chachamim to give it a specific shear. We need to know the nature of the shear, that it's not a fixed shear, but it's relative to how much dough you're producing. And therefore, he needs us to know the difference uh, between a a, balabais and a Nachdoim. That's layer one of Rashi. Layer two of Rashi is going to tell us something f- spectacular, comparing Rashi's perspective to three other perspectives. From the of from the Okay, so there's a whole commentary over here about the fact that Rashi apparently, as we noted earlier, seems to show a contradiction. What's the contradiction? Rashi's saying, on one Pasik, he's saying. Well, the Torah does not mandate a minimum amount to give Vukhala. And then immediately after that, Rashi says, He immediately says, But the rabbis gave specific amounts of how much Chala you have to donate. So, uh, uh, it's a superficial reading. It sounds like Rashi's view is the Torah says there is absolutely no amount that is required in order to fulfill Chala. Only the rabbis made it up. And then, on impost of we actually get another perspective. When the Torah tells us you have to give the chala, there Rashi tells us, well, it actually has to be a substantial amount. In other words, chala does have a measure based on the Torah. So what's Rashi saying? Does the Torah give us a measurement? Titnu. Or does it not give us a measurement? Kitromas Gorin. So there are aim, fire, and fit. commentary on Rashi, explains. Then when Rashi says that the words, tell us that the dough has to be substantial enough that it would be considered a gift, it's not a smachta be'alma. That's not a dough or It's not the Torah telling us this is required. It supports the understanding that the dough has to be substantial. Says, but we go back to the original Pesach, which says, And as far as the Reim is concerned, Rashi is telling us, there's no Torah requirement that challah has to have any amount whatsoever. But the Chachamim who made an amount, they rely on the fact that it says Titnu, and that is Kedai The Gur Ari the Maharal says, No, Kedai that you should give a substantial amount. That's the ideal way to give challah. But if you didn't, if a person gave a meager amount to the kohen, it technically would still fulfill the requirement of chala because the Torah did not mandate an amount. And the Noi de Behuda has the most interesting take on this. Is the Noi de Behuda says, "Hang on a second, you're looking at this a little bit too." one dimensionally, there are two elements to khala and the two psukim are actually talking about the two different elements. One element is you've got to give it, and the other element is that it's got to have value to the kohen. So let's understand what the relevance of these two steps is. Aleph mafkiya zain dem isu tevil funder iso. The first thing is until you separate that khala, the dough falls into the category of tevil, which is food you're forbidden to eat. Once you give the challah, you are now permitted to eat the remainder of the bread or the dough. That's one thing. What you're doing for yourself, allowing yourself to now eat this food because you have discharged the obligation of challah. Secondly, it doesn't help to take the challah and just discard it. The whole point is to give the challah to the challah. Therefore, the Ben says the Noi Well, that's the difference between the two elements expressed in the two different psukim. If your objective is to make sure that the dough which remains, you're allowed to eat, and it's not considered tevel. Well, the Torah doesn't tell you how much challah you have to give to rid yourself of that possible transgression. The tiniest amount, tiniest amount of chana, you're, you're good. But if you want to fulfill the other part of the mitzvah, which is you've given the challah to the kohen, well, well, for that, you actually have to have a, a decent amount. Otherwise, you haven't given the kohen anything and then you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. What's that amount? You have to give one, so he's got a slightly different perspective, one 24th or one forty-eighth of an amount called a 10th of an eifah. And then the Chachamim expanded that out and said, well, it's not just 124th of a tenth of an afa; it's going to be 124th of the, con- the, t- the total volume of chale that you're producing. So if it's the balabayas, it's 124th, if it's the baker, it's 148th. And if is going to 148th, so therefore, the pasuk that says "separate challah like you separate ruma" that's the part of the Torah that's only telling us about the action of removing that dough from the bigger dough. Which will now permit you to use and eat that remaining dough. Well, there is Rashi there says well, at this point the Torah is not mandating an amount to allow yourself to have access to the remaining dough, you don't have a specified amount of challah you have to give. The Chachomim are the ones who recommended how much you should actually give, so that's decent and that it fulfills some kind of real meaningful hafrosha, separation. But the other Pasuk that says that you should give which implies give something of worth to the koyen. There Rashi says, okay, the Torah did not tell us exactly how much, but what we do know is, it's got to be enough to be considered giving. Yes, says the Noy that when it comes to giving to a koyen, to fulfill that part of the challah, there's a minimum requirement even from the Torah, which is a 24th or a 48th fraction of a, a piece called a uh, 10th of an Rashi, that's the attempted uh, explanations of Rashi according to the aim, according to the Gurariyeh, and according to the Noida Bi Now we're going to see the Rebbe's perspective based on how we've learned it. Rashi's explanation, actually, according to the simple pshat, is clear. We said there are two steps to fulfilling the mitzvah of challah, separating the dough to allow the rest of the dough for eating, and giving the dough to the kohen. Says Rashi, even the separation requires a certain substantial amount. Chala Turtil Rashi tells us There is an amount It has to look like a chala Even the part that's just going to exempt you From the transgression of eating untithed food That amount has to be substantial enough To be considered a chala Then Rashi adds base. The fact that the chachamim added another requirement That not only should you give What's Kedaina sina, which might be open-ended, but it has to specifically be a twenty-fourth of the dough or a forty-eighth of the dough. That's not just to ensure that the Kohen gets something worthwhile. Rashi's saying that is part of what the Torah wants us to achieve at the separation moment, even before the gifting to the kohen moment. Why would Rashi say that? is mashma, the simplest understanding of the Pasuk indicates, not Not only the words that say give or separate a trumatashem. But even the words that say give, which sounds more like we're talking about the koin. Rashi says the pshat is, there is no mention of a koyen in that second pasuk. And so therefore both Psukim, although the wording is different, even though the second pasuk includes the word titnu, which sounds very much like a focus on the recipient, mm-hmm. both of them, according to pshat, are describing the act of separating the dough for chala. They're not yet talking about what happens with that chala and who you give it to we'll still learn about that at the end of Pashas Korach where we're told all the things that we are required to give to truma. the fact that our Pasuk says clearly that it is something you give to Hashem as one of the Truma's donations and then the Torah repeats it again the word Truma again this time with the word titnu even though it's technically the same message, is because the Torah didn't clarify for us exactly what the amount is, but the fact is it wants us to give an amount that is substantial. Therefore, the Chachamim learned from this how much you're supposed to give. We're going to take this much deeper now. Beyond just the halacha of giving challah, and understand the incredible connection between challah and trust in Hashem, particularly when it comes to our income. the The tells us, How come it is that in the Torah the, the instruction to take challah is very is juxtaposed with the mitzvah against avoy Says the Medrash, Anybody who Upholds the mitzvah khala, chala, kilu botel avodah zara. It's as if they nullified avodah zara. Chala mevatel mitzvah chala, and any person who um, overlooks the mitzvah of chala, kilu kiim avodah zara. It's like they uphold avodah zara. Is lechiran it? The Gantz and if what a strange comparison. Alef. What's the hashaychus hot the mitzvah of chala? First of all, how can we be talking about the mitzvah of an individual mitzvah? What is chala? It's a chala. It's a mitzvah that is associated with a single action that a person does with a piece of dough. How can we compare that mit of bita'avoy dezara, something as fundamental as avoy Zorah or ridding avoy dezara? Beis and which is the foundation of all of Judaism. You've got a chala compared to avoy dezara. You have got a single action compared to the whole foundation of Judaism. How does it compare? Also, when you pay attention to the words of the midrash, they're really strange words. Mekayim bottle. strange words. This is not normally how we talk about issues of faith. What does the expression go? Anybody who upholds the mitzvah of chalal, it's as if they uh, it, 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 removed or or uh, they, they, they nullified uh, idolatry. And any person overlooks the Mitzvah. It's like they, they upheld Avoid how, how does this work? Well, that seems like we're talking about an avoid that already exists. And now the choices are do you destroy it, be or do you allow it to exist? And now we're being told that if you fulfill the mitzvah of chala, that is what gets rid of this avoy dozorah. And if you don't give khala, that actually establishes or, or maintains this avoy dozorah. What kind of avoy zara could this be that's already there and chala is going to make it or break it? Even if you want to say there is some link between Chala and Avodah Zorah, and the Lashen should have been something we're familiar with in issues of faith. That if a person fulfills the mitzvah of chala, that's a rejection of avoidance. And if a person ignores the mitzvah of chala, it would be, God forbid, like the person acknowledged or even served avoidance. Some other language that is much more suited and familiar. The explanation is as follows. for mitzvah one of the deeper explanations of what chalé is all about, that your first dough you give away to Hashem, is as follows. Because in order for a person to earn a living or get anything else that the person requires in life, all of which is represented by the concept of dough slash bread slash sustenance, to get to the point that you have an income, you've got to work. And there are various melochas that you have to f- follow. Like the Gemara tells us, tells us de that when the Tana goes through the laws of what you may not do on Shabbos, it puts it in the order of how you produce bread. Well, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make dough. We're trying to produce bread. We're trying to make a living. In order to get there, there's a lot of things that you have to do that fall into the natural world the processes we have to follow are not uniquely Jewish people Jewish people have to go to work and so have to do non-Jews we have to pay taxes we have to market we have to employ people etc etc so therefore a person could mistakenly believe firstly, the fact that I have to do these things has got nothing to do with God why do I have an income? Because I work hard. Because I follow the trends of economies. Second of all, I feel in Tim hot Teva Even if I want to acknowledge that the e is the one who decided this is how I have to work in order to earn a living. As B'Sha'as, mentioned which means if I follow these steps the will bless me with income. So the Ebers just set up the system, and now the system runs independently. That's why we have the Mitzvah of chala and the powerful lesson that it contains, which is, First thing you do is, give something to Hashem. Even before you have benefited from or enjoyed this dough, you acknowledge, and the acknowledgement is translated into action, as the that the beginning of the process, the beginning of everything that led us to the point that we actually have dough to bake to make bread. And that's not only about bread, it's about any personal need, is the beginning of the process, is a focus on designation for Hashem. It's a realization that this success story of food on the table is not my success story, nor who i It's the Ebershah's empowerment. It's Hashem's brochas that cause a person to have wealth. Chala is a reset button of how we view our own success, income, and wealth. Not only is it that Hashem gives me success, It's more profound than that. (coughs) When we understand that Dei recreates all of existence at every nanosecond, then it's not just a matter of, okay, I do my things, and there are different streams of financial flow in the world, and Hashem's bracha is manifest in that. It's deeper. The whole natural order, all of my personal investment in trying to earn a living is meaningless. The fact that I have a business, the fact that I have a bank account, the fact that this marketing is working, the fact that this particular strategy has paid off, all of that is because right now, at this very second, Hashem created all of it. And therefore, the very first thing I get, I'm going to give to the Eberster. It's not about I'm giving because it's a good thing to help people and there's a requirement to give tzedakah and I'm going to give to the Kohen. Because as we've identified, Rashi's view is that this entire conversation is before you get to the point of sharing it with a Koyen. That's coming in Parashat's him. This is the part where you say, You're going to give it to Hashem because it all belongs to Hashem. Nothing is mine. How does that deal with Avodah Zorah? What is Avoyed Even from a simple understanding of like the Rambam explains, Avoyed is not just bowing down to an idol or accepting a particular deity. But it's when you start to give some kind of accolade, some kind of respect to the forces that Hashem has created in His world, to give the impression that they have some level of control or some level of influence. And even if you know that, the created these forces in the world, these trends in economics. And He empowered them. The minute the person starts to think, and now they have power, that's how we deserve We have to acknowledge that every single thing that happens in the physical, the metaphysical, in the entire realm of creation Every force that exists is purely an axe in the hand of the controller They have no independent value and power And they certainly have no input, freedom of choice to determine whether we will or won't get or will get more or less. They are purely channels through which Hashem feeds His Hashem into the world. So that's the first thing. Giving challah, remind ourselves the world is completely in Hashem's control. None of this is my doing or the trends in in the world at the moment, etc. But then it goes even more subtle than that. Not only when a person thinks that maybe there's some other power, some other force independent of Hashem. (inaudible) But even the thought that there might be anything that exists independently of Hashem the truth is there's nothing but Hashem. Nothing exists except God. End of story. Well, you look around at the world, it doesn't really tell that story. The apparition of the world and its natural uh, circumstances is that they are independent of God. It's not even immediately obvious that there's a power a power in control, a high authority. You've got to think about that. We've got to actually pay attention to acknowledge the fact that Debish is running the world. Therefore, when a person does fulfill the mitzvah of and a canton is megala as the iso. That person then acknowledges and reveals that the dough itself, the income that the person has generated through their efforts, using the natural channels, the person is acknowledging, it's not my efforts, it's not the natural channels, it's all from Hashem. That helps a person to neutralize the perspective that the world is its own independent force and is even able to give us. In other words, I, I stop thinking that if I overanalyze every single trend in economics, then I'll have more money. If I know exactly where to invest, the is the one who gives it. But if a person ignores what Chaleh is all about, and he forgets that everything he has, all of his success, all of his income, all of his wealth, is directly from the Ebeshter, then it's Ki Ilukim HaVoy That is like keeping the HaVoy alive. The person perpetuates the mirage of the natural world being a true power because the person is living in a reality where the flow of success comes from the natural order so therefore the natural order is real and independent and powerful furthermore even if a person accidentally forgot to take challah you know what that says about a person they forgot that still establishes and bolsters Avoy Dezorah. How? You can only forget something when it's not in front of your face. Out of sight, out of mind. If you see something in front of your eyes, how can you forget it? I forgot it was daytime now. You can't. You see the sun, it's daytime. Because the person forgot to remove the chale. That indicates that he is not absolutely clear that everything comes from Hashem. Well, if that's the case, then you're effectively perpetuating the myth that the world really exists in its own independent, powerful form with that insight I'm appreciating what challah is all about and it's the shift to get us into the correct headspace we realize everything comes from Hashem that will help us to understand the two different possibilities of how much challah you have to give we know that the tiniest amount of zarah is completely unacceptable likewise the Torah says the tiniest amount of challah will help to get rid of it the Torah is not going to tell you how much challah you have to give even if it's the tiniest fraction of dough, it will do the job. But on the other hand, but we know what happened with Avoy Dezorah. It developed into an entire philosophy and theology, first about the celestial beings, then about uh, idols, as the Gemara uses the expression, you know, where a person takes a particular block and turns it into something that he worships. In the same way as Avodizori, the tiniest avoidah is poison, but avoidah becomes a whole developed, you know, matured theology, so the antidote to Avodah Zorah, one little bit of chaleh is good, but the Chacham is said, say, let's develop it and make it something which is substantial. Why? Why is that necessary? Because it all depends which part of the person we're dealing with. So that's a If I'm looking from the perspective of the essence of a person's soul, which is inyan yin that's what gives a person absolute faith in Hashem, then the tiniest amount of Avodah Zorah is a problem. Faith in Hashem means I cannot tolerate the possibility of even the most subtle version of anything in addition to or uh, in, in partnership with or certainly not independent of Hashem. So that's how it is in Emune. Emune must completely negate any possibility of anything else. Likewise on the positive side. So the chala, which is supposed to represent this kernel of faith that we all have, is exactly that a kernel, the tiniest bit of faith, and it's like an a- a- atomic power. says, Means there's no quantity. You can't say, how much emunah do you have? I don't know. emunah you either have or you don't. But the echos, the quality, the value of that imuna is Infinite. Chalo, it's something of substance. When I'm talking about the DNA of of emuna that each of us has, it may be small in quantity. It's a single point of emuna. It is unlimited in scope and power. But the cha'chomim say we still want to give it a framework. Now you're talking about the world of Khagham that's the world of intellect Khagham is not the materia savidosara Just as avidosara has tears, this kind of avidosara shituf that kind of avidosara complete rejection of Hashem. the different tears. as I've is going to have to have different layers if you're trying to eradicate inappropriate, avoid the like thoughts from the mind, they're going to be different types of thoughts, different thought streams and different approaches to mitigate them. And because, as we've already pointed out, when we say that Chalei is the antidote to Avodah we don't mean the most obtuse form of Avodah We also mean the most subtle acceptance of, well, maybe I have to consider the things of the world, the expectations, the trends, the teachings of the world a <laughs> man so, where a person becomes so used to so 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 uh, attached to these processes that the person actually thinks, you know, this is what's giving me my success in Padmassa. Well then we're gonna det- we're gonna to have to determine who the person is, where they're holding. Are they in the scope of a balabais living in his own home, dealing with his own issues, or a baker? What does that mean? This is Mavur B'chassidus. Chassidus explains, as a ashkocha pracht, ashkocha prachtis, oil, like the famous ha'yoyim yoim, that a business person experiences a much more vivid experience of, of ha'shkocha uh, protis than a person who sits and learns Torah all day. Why is that? Because a dafton fshidna pu'ul le'esif sefadinam funa meisek. In order for a business person to succeed, there are many, many diverse things that he has to engage with. He's got to buy uh, stock. On sell it. To be able to buy at the right place, the right time, the right price, to be able to sell at the right place. There are many factors and variables that come into play in order for a person to succeed in business. The markets improve, the markets fall. The business person seized the Abish's hand. The timing was unbelievable. Met exactly the right person. I got the stock at exactly the right time. The competitor didn't. For that reason, a business person sees Hashkocha Pratis more regularly and more openly than a person stuck away in a yeshiva. Because what? The person sitting in yeshiva? Somebody else is paying the bills. Somebody else is putting the food on the table. It doesn't have that same engagement with the world to have to see Hashem's hand so openly. That's the difference between a homemaker and a baker. A woman making chala at home Who is the primary person Who will do the mitzvah of chala Her focus is Let me produce food for my family Her headspace does not have to get into the details of How did we get the money to be able to afford All the ingredients I needed to have and she does not necessarily go and grind up the ingredients herself or chop the wood herself. So here comes the shen It all arrives ready-made. So the balabossa in her kitchen is not so acutely exposed to the ebishter's hand making this all happen because it's fairly straightforward and comfortable. So, in order for her to have her experience, it's going to take some more dough. Because when you're sitting in an environment where you don't see Hashem's hand, you need to work harder to be aware of Hashem's hand. You've got to give more. But the commercial baker he has somebody running a business he's doing it in order to earn money to look after his family. And he's got to put in all the various variables of running a business. he's going to experience divine providence more frequently and openly. As him to Zain sends him the things he needs in order to earn. So he can he can afford to donate less khala to be to have the same awareness. Because even a small token reminder that everything goes to Dabishhah will help him remember, ah, this is Ashkacha Pratis. is running the show, I'm not a success story because of myself, possibly even in spite of myself. We're promised that through Khala we get this tremendous brocha in our homes. not the brocha just of having uh, income and, and abundance. But much more importantly, bring the brocha we bring the abishh bracha into everything in the home. As says, which part of that brocha is that you look how the house is run. It's run like the Abishha would want. And shooting, on and that once you feel that the the house is aligned with what the Ibishha wants, that will naturally translate also into the physical brachas that we need. Bibone, Chayo, Mezaina, in all the brachas associated with children, with health, and with panosa, Revicha, all in the greatest abundance.